Welcome to the Unblocked Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Alrighty, now welcome back to episode number 19 of Unblocking Crypto. After last week, we decided that it might be good to spend some more time talking about some of the news in crypto, especially here lately as crypto and Bitcoin seem to be going on a nosedive a little bit down. And I know we don't want to talk about too much about price prediction, but we can chat a little bit about some of that too here shortly. Maybe to start off, let's uh, celebrate, I guess, a couple of days late pizza day. So uh, did you do anything special for pizza day? Uh, no, I mean, I, I read about it and, and look at it and I think about like at the time it made a lot of sense to, to buy uh, two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin. And, you know, if people weren't doing things like that at the time, then Bitcoin would never go anywhere. So it, it, it's one of those crazy things that doesn't look like it makes sense when you look back, but it definitely made sense at the time. Um, but no, I, I, I haven't got to the point where I'm like, Oh, it's pizza day. We're going to have pizza tonight. So we, we haven't done that. We, we're trying to, we're trying to eat healthy as a family too. So it's pizza's a tricky one. Well, well, being engineers, I've always been a big fan of pie day on March 14th, right? Uh, so now pizza day on May 22nd, for those of you that weren't aware of it is, is the new thing to celebrate um, equivalent wise. What is that? 300 and something million dollars for one pizza at this point. Yeah, ten thousand Bitcoin at thirty thousand dollars a Bitcoin. Yeah, that's a uh, yeah, that's a uh, opportunity cost. <laughs> but without it, Bitcoin never would have turned into what it is today. So, uh, very thankful that it did happen. Oh yeah, yeah. Now I now I can trade like I don't even remember what I, a buddy of mine bought my lunch and I sent him Bitcoin on the Lightning Network. It was like whatever it was, 4,000 sats or 10,000 sats or something like just for, uh, for buying my lunch. Cause I left my wallet in the car. And for those of you that don't pay attention to how many sats are in Bitcoin, it's a hundred million. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so what else happened? So, um, so let's start on the political side. Um, there's a couple things going on in the, some of the countries that, uh, uh, that, that are worth talking about. Australia has got a new prime minister. Um, and, and this Australia has popped up several times in what we talk about um, as far as ETF getting adopted and, and launching. And, but I don't really see it ever listed as like, oh, Australians like one of the leading adopters of Bitcoin or crypto. But it pops up in things that you and I talk about all the time. And so that's kind of an interesting piece because everybody's focused on El Salvador and now Central African Republic. But um, El Salvador, Australia's new prime minister uh, kind of laid out a three point plan of, of three high level critical things that they're going to look at. The first being climate change, which I think you have to say. And I mean, you know, if, if that's if 90 percent of your population lives on the coast. Uh, yeah, you probably need to look out for that, I guess. Uh, the second thing was cost of living and, you know, this impact of inflation and, and everything else. So that, uh, which is probably the most tangible, uh, piece of it. And then the third piece is crypto regulation. And so you're talking about climate change, which everybody talks about all the time and like Davos is meeting now and things like that. Like, so that's big Inflation's huge globally, uh, and it's causing a ton of problems. And then the third one's crypto regulation, which feels like that could be back as compared to cost of living and inflation. 
so I, I found that to be something that's that's another piece to the puzzle that shows that Australia is like super focused on this uh, on crypto and and getting it regulated, treating it properly, and you know not falling behind because. It's funny because a few years ago when people were like, oh, they're going to regulate crypto, you know, it's like freaking out because that means they're going to ban it and they're going to ruin crypto. And da, da, da. And now everybody's like, oh, they're going to regulate crypto. Perfect. Now businesses can invest and institutions can get into it. And, you know, they'll have an outline and there'll be guidance so that people will know what the rules are. So that, that shift uh, has happened really slowly, but I think it's important. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I mean, when you look at Australia versus an El Salvador, right? I mean, the El Salvadors don't really have a lot to lose at this point. So it's easy for them to kind of test some things out with, with Bitcoin. Australia is still one of the largest countries out there. And it's it, it's interesting to see how further ahead they are than the U.S. and a lot of the crypto stuff, right? I mean, the U.S. has been dragging their feet on, on quite a few of these issues. Uh, we still don't have a spot ETF um, fund at, at all and and we are slowly talking about regulation, right? I mean, I think it's getting there. I think Senator Loomis is supposed to be releasing some stuff in a couple of weeks uh, on her thoughts on some of this too. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're leading the way right now. Um, yeah, so hopefully yeah. we can continue to follow up. I think yeah, one I, of the- I, I read a little bit about, speaking, we mentioned El Salvador. Um, I think the, well, now I can't recall if it's the World Economic Forum or the IMF. One of the two is helping them kind of figure out how Bitcoin's going as uh, a medium of exchange. I don't know if you looked into that or, or saw that come across. It's the IMF. Yep. Is the IMF. Yep. So that's a huge swing because they previously have been very against uh, El Salvador using anything other than U.S. dollars. And so I, I think it, it, like all these government things, right, this is probably going to take a year uh, for them to kind of really get involved. But just it's just chipping away like everybody is against Bitcoin until they're for it. And so the bigger the, the bigger the institution, the, the more they're ingrained in the U.S. dollar system, the longer it takes to kind of chip away at that uh, that anti Bitcoin sentiment. And so it's good to see a, like them to be a little bit of a breakthrough there. So that's good. Yeah, so speaking of global economics, um, one of the other couple of things that I read about, we talked about Central Republic of Africa legalizing Bitcoin here not too long ago. They're starting to be some more news come out that they are trying to attract some more international investors and making real estate available to buy via Bitcoin. Um, and I think it's going to be on the smart, using Bitcoin smart contracts. I'm not really sure. There's not a ton of details out there yet. But that's really intriguing to see that they are going to be using Bitcoin for quite a few other things. And they're also going to be creating uh, their version of a crypto island that will be tax-free and use Bitcoin only. So not a lot of details yet, but uh, exciting to see um, how, how that turns into something real in the future, if it does. Yeah, I like these little sandbox experiments that are kind of popping up where, I mean, you're talking about this is like the second little city state type of thing that is like, all right, okay, we'll try it here. I mean, this is, this is kind of what the United States is supposed to be about, right? Where one state can try something, figure it out, experiment with it. The other states can adopt it if it's a good idea or uh, that state can drop it. And okay, that's a bad idea, but we didn't have 
350 million people exposed to it. We only had, you know, 25 million people because it was only one state. And so for these countries to kind of act this way, uh, it's pretty cool. I, I think it's a good way to do it because you're talking about a massive change in your monetary system. And so that's, um, it's cool to see for sure. Yeah. And the other thing from a global perspective is uh, news about Nigeria. So Nigeria just announced that they're going to partner with Algorand, which is another um, crypto out there that has smart contracts enabled. And they're going to use that platform to um, enable commercial IP rights to be distributed with all of their commercial IP that's generated in Nigeria. So still a lot more to come from that, but it's kind of cool that they're partnering with a blockchain company to handle IP rate IP rights moving forward. Yeah, then uh, kind of moving back to the United States. Um, so I've, there was a, a chart that was showing some different uh, cryptocurrency metrics for U.S. households and U.S. usage. And so I, I've kind of, maybe it was COVID that kind of kicked me into it where I'm like, okay, thanks for that chart. I'm going to go look and see if I can find the study where and kind of read around it. So um, it's now every time I see a chart, I just try to find the source material. So it's a, there was a part of this uh, this report that the Federal Reserve came out with called the Economic Well-Being of U.S. Households in 2021. And so it's a government report. So it's like six times longer than it needs to be because I'm sure they had like 100 people working on it. Um, where basically what they do is they it's a survey and it does note that the survey is done online. So you kind of have a selection bias towards people who are a little more computer savvy or mobile phone savvy, but um, cryptocurrencies popped up a few times. It was uh, in the executive summary. It mentioned that it was the first time that cryptocurrencies have been included in the survey. And so, you know, scrolling down and trying and finding some stuff. Um, there were some pretty interesting things. It was uh, not very many people, one to 2%. Uh, we're using cryptocurrency to buy or transfer money to families and friends. And 46% of people that are using crypto as an investment were like high income, like $100,000 or greater household income. But 29% of people using crypto as an investment were making under 50 grand per household. So I don't know what the, how active, households under $50,000 are in stocks and other investments, but it's almost definitely not 29%. So when we talk about like cryptos, you know, for everybody, you've got households at a hundred thousand and greater having access to the exact same opportunity to invest in, in crypto or Bitcoin as low income households. And so I think that's a, that's a piece they didn't talk about, but that's, I mean, 46 and 29% are not that far off when you talk about the lifestyles of people in six figures and the people in the low five figure income. So that's, that's something that's worth looking at. Um, and then overall 12% of adults had held or used crypto. So that's kind of in line. I think we've seen 16% stuff like that floating around. So different surveys come back with different numbers. Um, but yeah, 12% uh, in 2021, you know, that's not uh, that's not nothing. And 6% of people who were involved in crypto in the United States uh, did not have bank accounts. So when you talk about the unbanked in the United States, 
uh, you know, that's, uh, that's a pretty good chunk of, of people that are, they have access to crypto, but they don't have access to any other financial, uh, financial systems. So that's, you know, it's one of those things that takes time for things to get adopted, but pretty much everybody has a smartphone. Once people understand like, Oh, I can get in, you know, if you get into stable coins that remain stable, then, you know, you could, you could essentially be banked with no credit checks or walking into a bank or opening an account or going through all the, all the trouble. So that's, um, that's another piece that I thought that, that, uh, that survey kind of made, made light of or brought to light. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think from what I remember, the total amount of unbanked in the U.S. is only in that 20-ish percent range. So to see what somewhere between a quarter and a third of all those like are, are moving to, to crypto, that's that's intriguing, right? So um, I, I know one of the other things that maybe is caveat to that. So Coinbase, I've been making the news a lot here lately one version or the other, they officially made it to the Fortune 500 list. I think they're like number 437th on the list, which they are an exchange for crypto and they made it on the list during a bear market. So something is going right, um, even though their stock price has been drastically lowered <laughs> like everybody else is out there. But one of the things that is interesting is they have 89 million um verified users on coinbase which i think they're also outside the us but if you look at just the us population that's what close little, little under a third yeah and if you look at it, the adult population you know that's going to be a lot closer to like 40 percent. yeah and then if you talk about you know with coinbase you have to have a bank account in order to interact with coinbase because you have to do an automatic um transfer or whatever to get funds in. So, you know, it's not, to my knowledge, I mean, it would be hard for me to think, yeah, you got guys that are going in, cashing their paycheck, using a Bitcoin ATM, going onto a hardware device, transferring it to Coinbase and then exchanging it for other crypto. Like that would be, I mean, there's probably some out there because just the numbers game uh, of it all. But uh, yeah, for the most part, those are people that, you know, you're, you're eliminating anybody under 18. You're eliminating anybody that doesn't have a bank account. You're eliminating a lot of people. So 89% is pretty good saturation. If someone is doing that, they are not going to Coinbase because the fees on Coinbase are not the lowest out there. Right? So if they're smart enough yeah. to that point, they're going other places. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're true. That's right. Um, and so kind of along the same line. So you mentioned Coinbase's stock price uh, tanking and like literally yesterday after hours, Snapchat came out with a like an interim earnings report that basically just said, "Hey, uh, things are worse than what we predicted," and their stock price took like a thirty percent dive after hours. Netflix took a dive, Facebook took a dive. Um, so you're seeing the kind of the tech stocks which led the rally coming out of uh, coming out of COVID in March 2020, where you know tons of money was getting poured into these scalable digital companies and you're seeing that sort of unwind with the combination of revenues dropping um you know amazon and walmart had revenue declines which is not a good sign uh but you also have interest rate increases which hammers tech stocks um 
you know, their interest, they're, they're typically highly leveraged. So they got a lot of debt. That's almost always variable debt. So as interest rates go up, their interest expense goes up. So their earnings go down and then everything kind of unwinds. So, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm curious to see how, what Coinbase's debt structure looks like and things like that. But um, this, the, the interest rate, and decreased revenues is a pretty bad combination for these tech guys. Um, and meanwhile, Bitcoin's been Bitcoin has gone down, but it's really seems to stabilize right around this thirty thousand dollar mark, um, where we've had eight red weekly candles, so eight weeks in a row. So our Bitcoin is basically arbitrarily selected, like. I think it's 8 p.m. as their closing time, 8 p.m. Eastern, or maybe it's 6 p.m. Eastern. Sometime in the evening Eastern is when they officially close so that they can make daily candles and weekly candles. And so Sunday evening, we've had eight consecutive weeks where Bitcoin has closed lower. Um, so that's never happened before. So that's uh, that's worth looking at. But it's also really steady at $30,000 of Bitcoin, which is triple, you know, where we were two years ago. So it's not, you know, it's not as though if you, if you typical Bitcoin, right, if you buy it for four or five years and you hold it, you don't do anything, you're okay. So seems like that's holding up. Um, and then kind of tying into that, this, uh, the chief investment officer for Guggenheim, his last name is Minerd. Uh, he's kind of notoriously not a great predictor of Bitcoin's future price. But uh, he came on to CNBC to talk about how Bitcoin could fall to $8,000 uh, per Bitcoin. Uh, essentially, all I, it looks like all he did was look at a chart and say, oh, well, if it breaks under 30000 there's not a lot of established support below 30000 until you get to, he chose 8000 but to me, it looks like ten. $10,000 had a ton of it, like Bitcoin hung out at 10,000 a lot uh, historically. So I don't know why he picked 8,000. Uh, maybe he just want to make it sound worse, but um, I have a few problems with this one. You know, you're talking about if he goes 8,000, that's a 73% drop from where we are today at this $30,000 level. That's, that's been a pretty solid support Two. It's 88% off of the all-time high of 69,000 that we hit last year. So you're talking about an 88% drop off the all-time high, which is a drastic decline when you, even if you compare it to previous Bitcoin cycles where the, the product or the, where Bitcoin wasn't as mature, you didn't have as many institutional investors. You didn't have as many people that just bought and hold, bought and held it and, and didn't trade it. Um, but I mean, he's right. There's not a lot of support between 30,000 and 8,000. But two years ago when this thing ramped up or 18 months ago when it ramped up from 8,000 to 30, um, you didn't have MicroStrategy paving the way for, for businesses to hold, um, to hold Bitcoin on the balance sheet. You didn't have institutional investors. You didn't have nearly as much uh, of the family offices and high net worth individuals buying and holding. You didn't like, it's a very consistent message for people that when they get into Bitcoin, Hey, you're just going to buy it and you're not going to do anything for four years. Back in the day, I mean, it's, it's just, everybody thought they could trade Bitcoin. And so you've got that component, which I think 
bolsters that that eight thousand dollar you know that should that should increase that floor that he didn't consider but also you just have straight up inflation that's made everything more expensive so anything that cost eight thousand or ten thousand dollars two years ago is costing you 15 now uh so for him to kind of discount the fact that there's just that much more money floating around i think that's uh i think that was kind of a um uh an error in his logic uh same deal with like where are you going to put your money right two years ago you could buy real estate you could buy stocks you could i mean everything seemed fairly normal right now i don't know where you're going to put your money so uh if anybody's that's exposed to bitcoin okay i'm going to sell it and i'm going to sit in us dollars and i'm going to get inflated away between eight and fifteen percent i'm going to sit on bitcoin because i know eventually it'll come back up i'm not going to take these a tax hit by realizing my gains like i don't so to me uh eight thousand i mean if it hits eight thousand i mean how many people are just going to be buying as much bitcoin i mean people will be selling their cars to buy bitcoin at eight thousand dollars you know, you know that people will pay $69,000 for Bitcoin. So at eight, people would be, you know, they'd more re refinance their house even at 8% in order to get more Bitcoin. So I think I, I felt like that was, uh, that was a pretty, that was a pretty kind of a foolish thing. And we already saw it wick down to 25,000 and right back up in like an hour or two. So I, I think he's, um, uh, I can, I can, obviously I can be wrong, but he, he seems like he didn't put as much nuanced thought into this as, uh, as maybe he should have before he went on TV and talked. It's, it's almost kind of a blessing when somebody like him come, comes on here and says that because one of the, if you look at some of his past predictions, and it was at 60K the first time, he predicted it going to 600K, and it went down to, what, 30. When it got to 30, he predicted it going to 10, and it went back up to 60. All right, so now that it's back here at 30, he's saying going to 8. I mean, maybe a third time the charm, right? But the chances of that happening are <laughs> so small, especially considering – all the other on-chain metrics that everybody else is looking at, right? So um, there's lots of different ways to look at it. And I would say you and I, neither one of us know which way it's going to happen, but it usually goes against what everybody thinks is going to happen. So, Well, it's um, funny because like every there's just a mindset of people and it's a lot, it's a big percentage of people that think if something is going down, it's just going to go down forever. And if something's going up, it's just going to go up forever. And like, it's weird because Bitcoin's been sideways for a month or so. Nobody thinks it's going to stay sideways. But so like, I don't know how people uh, can get their head around like, oh, it's going to, it's been going down. It went from 60 to 30. It's going to eight. But you look at the chart, like this thing just bounces around like crazy. So why would you think it wouldn't just bounce around? Like it doesn't, if, if you're, if your mindset is, Oh, things, you know, the past is going to, the future is going to be a lot like the past. And the past has a range of thirty to $70,000 for Bitcoin. Why wouldn't you say, yeah, I'll probably bounce around between twenty-five and 75000 That would be way, that'd be a way smarter way to handle this than to say, oh, uh, Bitcoin's going to do something it's never done before. It's going to drop to, it's going to drop below the previous all-time high in a cycle, which would be 19000 which would be a pretty hard floor. Uh, yeah, there's a million reasons why this is a bad, a bad take, but yeah, there's a lot of people out there that are just like they're, they're, they're uh, bottom indicators. Like as soon as they think, it, as soon as they come out and say it's going low, it's like, well, we might be at the worst case scenario right now, and we're about to bounce. 
Well, it's interesting too. If you look at um, Asia, Asia is paying a premium on Bitcoin right now. And historically they have been the ones that have found the top and the bottom before anybody else. So last time they did that, it was pretty much the bottom and all of a sudden Bitcoin started going up. So, uh, but to my, my other perspective is the news. Most of the news sells fear, right? So yep. this sells a lot or gets a lot more eyeballs when someone says this Bitcoin's going to 8K versus telling them something realistic and then nobody's going to really pay attention to it because it's Bitcoin's been at 30K for a month and a half and it's been down trending for a year and a half. Right. So. right. Uh, so funny you mentioned Asia. I didn't have this in my notes, but I saw where China's mining hash rate has been going up consistently ever since <laughs> like, it's like they banned mining last summer. It, it and in the hash rate, it's like all the miners complied. Like they just got, they said, okay, we'll shut down the machines. We'll, but now they've just been growing hash rate. Like, and I think it's up to like fifteen or twenty percent. It's double digit percentage of the entire Bitcoin network uh, is being mined in in China now. And I'm like, oh man, it's weird how Bitcoin doesn't care about any of this stuff. Well, yeah. So I think the one year anniversary of China banning Bitcoin was in the past week. So oh, it really? literally just happened and the the increase in mining hash rate for China is is kind of insane, right? I mean it's they're pretty close to being number two, I think again. That's what right? I, I think that's right. Behind yeah. the US. So it it's it's weird how that's happening. And I think I saw something that uh I get not that Russia has done anything bad about it, but they found a an old Russian jail had turned itself into a Bitcoin mining. <laughs> <laughs> hey man if people can make money they'll figure out how to make money yeah like, there's no way around it and, and it doesn't really matter what the government says or anything else especially if it's bitcoin money i mean it's not like okay it's like you want to talk about a victimless crime like if you you got you have access to power especially power that you're generating yourself there there's literally no no downside I guess if Russia can't sell their power to anybody else, they might as well use it to do something and turn it into to something else, I guess, right? But Yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, too, I, I know I'm probably the only person that cares about NFTs that's listening to this, uh, but I still <laughs> think that NFTs have a ton of potential in the future. And uh, I've been paying attention to a couple of little spaces that have, have been intriguing, and one of them is the music industry. And I would say the reason that the music industry is interesting is one, the size of it right now. If you look at the total combined value of all music NFTs, it's still under $10 million total, right? And if you look at some of the, um, like the Board 8 Yacht Club, they're at three and a half billion just for that one NFT, <laughs> right? So the potential of some of the music NFTs to, 100x or more is insane. So if someone's looking for a little niche to go focus on, music NFTs might be one of those. And if you look at what's happening is one, the music NFTs, they can offer so much utility. Um, things like you buy that, you can be in a music video or get backstage passes or have special events or um, with the artist or super fans or whatever it is. There's, there's so many things that they can do. And the amount of wealth that is being transferred so far with music nfts is um it, it is, is multiple multiples higher than what you would if you were using the regular streaming services from today so 
the guys that are on it are making the equivalent of having a couple million of Spotify users type thing, right? And it's a very small space right now. So that's really cool. The other thing that I think you'll start to see more, and I had mentioned it weeks and weeks ago, was DAOs, right? And you're starting to see some of the music DAOs pop into place. And that's, in reality, it'll kind of help with some of the, the risk sharing um, and getting the music out, so uh, distributing that that music. So it, it's still very early on, but it's one of those spaces that I think has a ton of growth that will happen in the next year or two. Yeah, I would think that, that musicians would be inclined to do that because my understanding of the music industry is the, the artists don't make very much money off of the, the streaming services. Like if, they're, if their music's played, on the radio or whatever, they don't, they don't make much like the, the label makes a lot of that and they make their money by touring and doing concerts. So if you think about it from like a business standpoint, you, somebody else is making money on their leveraged side where they're just, what they should be doing is just printing money. They, they record the song once and then they should be making good money every time that it's played. And you know, that's the easy money, right? Those are like, that's the royalties incoming. The hard part is converting your time into money, right? That's like, they, I mean, they got a nine to five or worse than a nine to five job. They're like going out and busting their tail for six months straight, uh, night after night after night, going from city to city. And it's like, that's really, really hard work. So if, if NFTs give artists an opportunity to flip their revenue from making money on the, the easy way and then not having to bust their tails doing concerts all the time to make money, I, con, uh, artists would be jumping on that left and right. So I, I would think that there's definitely opportunity because there, it's the people that are creating the content, which is not something that can be reproduced very easily. They're, you know, you're, you're talking about scarce resources. There's only one, you know, star musician or whatever. Um, you know, if they start doing that, I mean, me and you are releasing a podcast, like, these artists can figure out how to how to release music and tie it to an NFT. Like, I mean, it's it's, it's it can't be that far off. Or, or somebody will be like, oh, I'll charge you, you know, half of one percent, and we'll just uh, we'll make we'll make these um, these NFTs so that you can generate revenue instead of instead of having to uh, go on the road to make X dollars. You can make point eight, you know, eighty percent of what you make by going on the road, and you don't have to go on the road. So I would think artists would jump on that stuff. Yeah, I guess my perspective, and, and maybe we're going to start just giving people business ideas on this podcast, but if you look at most <laughs> artists in general, they are very creative people, right? But I would say typically crypto is not meant for creative people. It's meant for a little bit more analytical people, at least right now until the user interface gets a little bit better. So for those people talking about doing stuff with MetaMask or whatever they're they're going to be doing this on some sort of NFT platform is, is going to be difficult for them. So finding somebody that can bridge that gap and say, here's how it works. Give me your content. This is what I'll do. Uh, and I'll take a, a flat fee or whatever that is. Then that would be really intriguing for probably quite a few artists to have that trusted advisor that can help get their content into NFTs. So um, potential for somebody to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's to me. I mean, if you know the music industry and you're curious about crypto, like that's it'd be pretty easy to tie those together. Yeah. 
So the other thing with NFTs that is really intriguing is in the genetics space. And um, I'm sure quite a people, quite a few people listening have done something like the 23andMe and gotten their genome sequenced. Um, there's a couple of companies that have partnered together to take that data and put it into an NFT. Uh, I think they're calling it like a gene NFT. But what that would allow you to do is to grant access to people that want to do research on your genetic sequence. And um, you would hold the private key to that and you could only grant it to people that you wanted to. The real benefit, I would say, isn't even so much financial there. Um, the, the benefit seems to be more of the, on the medical side so that if they do find something, you would get pretty much first on the list to, to treat for something like that too. So, um, which with everything going on and I think the ability for genetics to possibly solve a lot of this, that would be really intriguing for quite a few people to, to be first on the list to have whatever their rare genetic disorder is treated. Um, so cool technology, I mean, it's still a long ways away before it's mainstream, right? But going back to NFTs being something that are gonna take over the world, in my opinion, this is kind of showing one of the ways that you'll see that happen. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, all of this stuff with crypto is like, all right, let's let's let let competition go. Like, all right, you you think you can handle this with an NFT? See see how it works, and then somebody else might do a better job than you, and you're out of business, and the next guy does you know runs with it. So, I yeah, let it go, open market. Yeah, so that's kind of the exciting news. I mean, I know we ran through a bunch of it here in the last 30 minutes or so. Um, anything else that you can think of that's important to let people know about? No, I mean, I think we've covered a lot of ground. And one thing to talk about maybe is the fact that, you know, I think most people think we're in a recession. You know, last quarter GDP was down in the United States. Um, it feels like it's going to be down again this quarter. Um, I think it takes three quarters to be for economists to be like, Hey, we're in a recession. But so at the point that they say they're in a recession, they're nine months in a recession at least. And so this is Bitcoin's potentially Bitcoin's first big recession. You know, it, it was created due to the nonsense that created the 2008 um, recession and, and financial crisis. And so when it, you're looking at, at what gets hammered in recessions is the stuff where like easy money holds up businesses, right? So you've got zombie companies that are just not good companies. They don't make a lot of money, but in between inflation and free money from the government and things like that, or cheap money from investors, they just stay afloat longer than they should. And they don't go out of business. Whereas in a recession, that money's a lot tighter. It's tougher to get. And, so you, what you end up with is companies dropping out a lot faster. So you, you wipe out companies quicker. So I would, I would say be cautious uh, in a recession if you're into a lot of altcoins and crypto stuff that's long shots. Because those long shots, their funding is going to dry up before, the, they, before they can get to a, a state of sustainability and profitability. And... Um, and you, you know, you're not going to see as many people dumping a little bit of discretionary income into, into crypto. So the prices may be depressed 
um, especially in an inflationary environment where people have got to pay higher rent, more, more for food, more for gas, more for uh, cars and everything else. And so there's probably a little less money to go into investing and playing in crypto. And, and so just uh, it's worth like just being aware that the economy is going to have an impact on uh, on Bitcoin and, and crypto in general, because we've kind of been in a nine years of free money type of environment and especially the last two or three. So, uh, so that's, you know, I would say that's just like word of caution, uh, not financial advice for all I know, we're going to be, you know, 50% higher on Bitcoin's going to go up 50% in the next few months because all it takes is one catalytic piece of news. Um, you know, one company jumping in Apple, ties into Bitcoin somehow or Lightning Network or whatever, and then people are piling in. So, you know, with these young kind of developing companies or technologies, um, uh, it's worth kind of considering. But these are a lot of thoughts I haven't really fleshed out. But if you're talking about, well, El Salvador, Central African Republic, and, you know, everybody, all these countries are, regulating crypto and allowing people to use it as, as legal tender. Well, if, uh, if currencies start to really inflate and debase and become worthless, Bitcoin could be a big winner in a recession because people might jump off of their currency and into Bitcoin just to, just as a life raft from a, from a sinking ship. Um, if you look at the strength of the dollar right now, um, it's, it's getting stronger against mo the basket of currencies in the DXY. And it's, that means, so the dollar is the best of all the crappy currencies. And so you're looking at, you know, like the Australian dollar is worse than the U S dollar. Honestly, the only, the only currency that's doing well against the dollar is the ruble, which is because they're, they're doing a lot of things, manipulate them and tying it to gold. And they've got a huge advantage on kind of bossing Europe around on energy. And that might not last for, for very long. Uh, so I'm not sure, I'm not sure where things go, but you know, it's, this is a good time to spend a lot of time trying to figure things out. You can make a ton of money by buying things properly in a recession. Um, and you can lose your tail by writing things down to zero and watching them disappear. So, um, you know, just, uh, Kind of curious to see how Bitcoin performs in in a rocky economic climate. So that's uh, that's something I'm really watching. A couple of things to add to that. So the dollar is at on one of its very strong points of resistance right now. That it's hit a couple of times and then kind of tanked after that. So if that does continue to happen over the next couple of months, that will be very good for Bitcoin. Um, we, we talk about inflation and inflation is what right around eight percent or something like that. India is just a little bit better at seven, but places like Turkey are at 60, right? So um, it's it's almost hard for for me and, and other people, other Americans probably to even believe what 60% inflation looks like. But there are other lots of other countries that are going through that or much worse than what the U.S. is going through. So it'll be intriguing to see who knows what's going to happen, <laughs> right? But uh I think I had read someone talked about the altcoins as well, that if you look at historically what's happened to them in bear markets, 
there's still another 70% drop of where they are today for them to go. So um, altcoins are definitely not the place to be right now. <laughs> um, but but when, when everything comes back, they come back hard. Yeah, yeah. So wait for Bitcoin to make a turn around and then jump into them if you want to do that. <laughs> Yeah, if history uh, repeats itself. Yeah. yeah, it might not repeat, but it sure does rhyme a lot of times. Right? That's right. Well, cool. Well, as always, Hal, thanks for joining. We'll uh, chat again next week. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for journeying down the crypto rabbit hole with us. If you're interested in learning more about crypto, please join our private Facebook group, Unblocking Crypto. It's a small community discussing new ideas and just asking questions to learn more. Hope to interact with you there.